Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Elise Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Welcome back to the Real Talk SLP podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to run a successful IEP meeting. We're going to be talking with Mia McDaniels. And just, you know, a little side note, I have been following Mia for a very, very long time. I think we even started our websites around the same time as well in like 2012. That's how long we've had our our websites and it's been the funnest thing. So she is the queen guru of managing your caseload and specifically with, you know, running IEP meetings and and managing your caseload. She always drops the best nuggets on Instagram of just thoughtful things to consider and change when managing your caseload. And so that's why I wanted to have her come on because I she she's very nurturing as well. So she has a very sweet, soft way of helping us make changes or get better at something without feeling like we're just, you know, no good. Right. Because so often, uh, you know, I, and sometimes we feel like we're on a little Island too, because we're the only speech pathologists maybe on our campuses. We feel like we're doing it wrong. We're the only ones that are struggling. And, you know, you start to go down that like Debbie Downer wrote about yourself as a clinician. And so um, she's really, really good at just, I think, um, helping people and getting through that little funky parts where we're feeling bad about ourselves and moving forward, because that's how we're going to serve our students well, is getting more tips and tricks for how to be more efficient and effective for our students. And so you're going to walk away with a lot of those tips today. Um, so we're going to be talking about how to run a successful IEP meeting. And within that conversation, we also are talking about baselines and progress monitoring. So if you are struggling with that, with keeping track of things, I'm going to link in the show notes, a blog post that I wrote several years ago called resources to help you progress monitor speech goals. And within that blog post, there is a free printable checklist um, where you can keep track of your student and where you're at with progress monitoring. And you just print it up for the whole year, especially if you only progress monitor three times a year, which that's what I did when I was in the schools. That way you can check. I progress monitored their goals. I wrote it on their IEP. I printed it. I put it in an envelope and I gave it to the teacher or I mailed it. Um, When when I was, I don't know about you guys, but when I progress monitor goals, even though I block out time and I try to plan ahead, sometimes I only have like 20 or 30 minutes to do some progress monitor stuff, paperwork in between sessions. And need and I needed to know where I left off because, you know, we got so many things on our plate. So that's why I made that checklist and it's free to you as well as other resources that you can use to progress monitor so that you can go into those meetings at the end of the year, knowing that you progress monitored your, your students' goals well. So go, I'll put that in the show notes. Go ahead and head over and check it out. Let's go to the interview with Mia, and I think you're going to enjoy it. 
Hey, Mia, welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast. Um, I'm really excited to have you come on today because we are talking about how to have a successful IEP meeting, which I always need more tips on how to do that better. I don't know about you, but welcome. Thank you, Felice. Thank you for inviting me on here. I love your podcast and I particularly love the name because, you know, we've met several times in person. And one thing I we think we I think we definitely have in common is that like we keep it real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe too real sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, I usually have to do the filter like, should I post that on? Right. I know. Or is there a different way I could say this um, and still get the message across? And you do really awesome with that, actually, with um, just like be, keeping it real, but keeping things professional and respectful. So I always like your posts. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you come on anyway, because I kept seeing you give these really valuable IEP meeting tips. And I'm like, you know what? I wish I had that when I first started. I had to learn yeah. learn the hard way, <laughs> learn the learn the in the trenches way. You're not kidding. We all have to learn the hard way. Yes. So we're going to be talking about IEP meeting strategies, how to be a little bit more prepared, how to run them with confidence. But before we do that, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Mia, just like your a little bit of your background in the field, what areas you like to treat, what you're up to. You can throw anything at me. All right. Uh, let's see. So this is my 27th year as, a, as an SLP. 24, my first 24 years were in the schools. Um, I actually got hired in school because I knew cued speech. And so I worked exclusively with children who had cochlear cochlear implants. And um, I also acted as the AAC facilitator at our school because those were two of the specialty areas that I focused on in at LSU. And long story short, that program, that cute speech program, people came from all over the country to that program. Um, but it was disbanded after a lawsuit. You know, schools and lawsuits go together. Um, and after that, I continually worked with students from pre-K through eighth grade. And I spent my school SLP career in two schools, low socioeconomic families, lots of English language learners, and lots of students with aggressive and even violent behaviors. So um, because of that experience, I ended up becoming our district C- CPI trainer, along with a couple other cool ladies. And, uh, you know, teaching staff how to de-escalate and how to safely restrain children if it, you know, comes to that where they're a danger to themselves or others. But at year 20, to be very honest, I was very burned out and considered just leaving the profession altogether. Uh, You know, working with especially aggressive children day in and day out takes a toll. I'm sure lots of SLPs can relate to that. Um, But soon after I was hired as a special education coordinator and it's similar to a lead SLP. Like I did spend most of my time supporting SLPs and teachers of the deaf in our, in our district. But I also had special education assignments like supporting, um, again, behaviors at schools, because you know how it is. If you're good at something, you get to do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't love that. That is very hard. That's very taxing. But people out in the trenches really need support in that area. Um, 
also provided monthly CEUs to SLPs and I'm, I'm, you know, they had me do nasty things like monitor for compliance. And I also, does that mean you have to babysit everybody and be like, get your progress reports in that kind uh, of stuff? Sort of. But uh, what was great is most of the SLPs I were my peers for 20 years. So, um, you know, that was just kind of a cool experience to be able to support them and be on their campuses and help them in real time. Um, but anyway, I also ended up teaching a course or co-teaching a course about IEP writing. And I had the most amazing director who was our director for 40 something years. And she got me a lot of professional development in IEP and legal IEP issues. So, um, and I'm one of those weird people that loves writing IEPs. <laughs> I really do. Don't judge me. <laughs> you can come write mine. I, don't, I took the year off this year, but when I go back, I'll hit me up. My idea of fun, sadly. <laughs> That's so funny. So my passion areas change all the time. I always say I really love everything that we get to do. And um, when I was in schools, much like you, I was very passionate about inclusion because um, I experienced the magic of inclusion, which there are the horrors as well. But once you find a, a teacher you really click with, it really is amazing how much I learned about my students and how teachers once you gain their trust, will relinquish their classroom to you because they see the value you can provide. Um, I'm deeply, deeply passionate about speech sound disorders because I love, love, love getting to be part of that transformation from unintelligible to articulate. I think most people know that I'm pretty gung-ho about selective mutism because I think that's because I found that those children aren't always properly identified and treated in schools. And same for bilingual and EL, EL students. You know, not everyone knows how to properly assess. So you get misdiagnosed or you get overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed. So I'm always advocating for that still. I do do some parent advocacy, you know, just coaching parents, not going in there and bully everyone at the IEP meeting, but coaching parents how to advocate and what questions to ask. So anyway, now I work in private practice and I see lots of students with tongue tie issues. So my new passion is orofacial myology mm. because that is a transformation as well. And I, I just love being part of that with the families. Very cool. You have like a nice long resume of... No, you know, everyone says you need to find your niche. And I'm like, but I can't. I, I've, you know, 27 years, I, I've loved so many things. I think that's why the schools sometimes work out for certain people too, because even though it's kind of chaotic at times, there's an element of it that you just, you never get bored. That's for sure. No. <laughs> so if you're one of those people that gets bored easily, which I think that is, I do get bored. So like there's those times in the year where I'm like, why did I do this job? And then once it simmers a little, then I'm like, okay, you know, I need that challenge. But um, other right. people are like, you guys are, you guys are nuts. <laughs> that amazing director once told me the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. So you have to just keep learning and it will keep things fresh. Yes. I find that that has helped as well to stay inspired 
Um, well, that's really awesome. And I'm excited to hear some tips because you have a lot of training in the area of IEPs. I know that we get, we get trained a lot in our school districts um, with our lawyers and stuff because I live in California. And I usually leave going, oh, I'm really glad I got that information. And now I'm about to hyperventilate. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Like I want the training, but then you kind of leave freaking out a little bit. And so I hope at the end of today, you guys are going to get some practical, you know, things that you can change or do differently to help you. But don't, don't freak out too much because it's all, we, all, we can't change everything all at once. So if we can walk away with a few strategies to help make our jobs a little bit easier, you can continue to grow in the area of IEP writing and conducting a meeting. Um, before we get into the questions, when it comes to IEP meetings and participating in them, do you have a particular song or a song lyric that describes the emotions or process for having an IEP? You got a song for that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I actually have a playlist like when I need to be pumped up for that. But hands down, the song that comes to mind is the song Confident by Demi Lovato because what parents really want when they leave the IEP is to feel confident that you've got this. Their baby is in good hands and they feel good about it. So if we don't feel confident walking in and feel confident about the IEP that we're presenting them, um, they're going to probably clue into that. That's on my IEP Wow. I have like pump up like, um, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Because <laughs> you need that like confidence. Like I'm about to go in and speak in front of parents and the IEP team. Like we all need to be, you know, you want it to be successful. Um, yeah, and I have that song on there. Like you can do, you know, be confident. Um, and I've definitely had my moments where I have it. I've walked in and not felt confident at all. And then times when I'm like, the t we did the steps we needed to make the IEP come together, the meeting. And we walked out. It was hard, but we walked out with a signed IEP where most you know parents were happy. Um, let's give three things SLPs could do when to come to an IEP meeting more prepared. Like what would be the three things you would say would would help them to feel more prepared when they're walking into an IEP meeting. Yeah, okay. So we know we have to do all those logistic things, you know, that are no fun, send the draft, prior notice, all of that. But really what SLPs should do the whole like a month leading up to the the IEP is just thinking a lot about that child, thinking about how they learn, crafting a plan how to take them to the next level. And it's kind of like, I feel like, I know that's, that sounds like, oh, that's terrible. You know, it's hard. And, um, but I feel like this is our chance to do all of our thinking for an entire year. Because if you really put a, you know, if you just write a goal and you haven't put a lot of thought into it, like what evidence-based approach are you going to use or what visuals are you going to, going to use or like, how does this child learn? then you're going to be struggling with that all year. But if you put it on paper and it's a really clear cut, solid plan, then you don't have to think about it for the whole year. You just implement your IEP. You know, good IEPs, as much as I hate to say this, do not get written in an hour. I mean, 
Yeah. They do get written in an hour. They get written in an hour, but the pre-work starts way before. Month. Yeah. And you have to, and I had to start training myself. Like, I don't want to keep doing this like last minute. Right. Um, not that it's really last minute. We have big caseloads. Some of it's out of our control, but I started to plan out like, okay, I got all these IEPs in October. What am I going to do in September to get prepared for those? Right. And it helps. And I know, you know, um, school SLPs do not have extra time to do all of this grunt work that we have to do. But just while going about your day, keep that child in mind, keep pondering. I mean, the SLPs like me that drive around, saying words in the rearview mirror to figure out how I'm going to get this child to make an R or something could probably relate to this. Like you're, it's always on your mind. It's always nagging you. Um, they get that premise. So if you're having trouble coming up with a plan too, I just have to say, ask for help. I had, I supervised a lot of therapists who would never ask for help. And I worried about those more than I worried about the ones that ask for help because, you know, it's not, that you look incompetent. It's actually doing the right thing for your student and it's a chance to learn. So ask for help and don't hesitate to do that. And when I say ask for help, I mean, ask your supervisor to come down to your school and lay eyes on this student. It's their job to support and mentor you. And, you know, SLPs need hands-on support, not directives from a desk. So ask, it is their job. So never, you know, feel bad asking. And the other person you should ask is their, the child's teacher or teachers. Like I love to ask what one thing, if I help this child improve with, would make the biggest difference in your class. And I say that because, you know, maybe it's not a weak area on the self or whatever, but our ultimate goal is to positively impact functional and academic growth. So we should be asking the teachers. A lot of teachers will tell me, well, he, he can't listen and follow directions. And maybe that's, you know, I'm worried about him answering critical thinking questions on after reading a passage, but Hey, if he can't answer, listen and follow directions in the classroom, that's going to impact them. So we can put that in an objective. And if, you know, the teachers, some are like, I, I, I don't know, you know, they're, they're so overloaded too. So I just say, ask the student, some of them are just going to shrug and say, I don't know, but some of them who are self-aware will tell you what they need help with. So after you've written a focus goal, you should decide exactly how you're going to take the child from point A to point B, what stimuli, what visuals they might need, what strategies you might need. What approach, like I said, and then take baseline data. Again, ain't nobody got time for that. But, you know, I always say there's no crying in speech. There's also no guessing what your criteria for mastery should be. Like you should have some kind of data to say, okay, well, last year they approved, you know, 30% and now can they do another 30% was the baseline data show. Are they still where they were last year? Uh, when I was uh, working with SPED teachers, I would make them like um, take the baseline data. And th what's funny is that sometimes their baseline data was ex their, their percentage of accuracy or whatever they're measuring was exactly what they'd already written in the goal on their IP. 
So it's like, yeah. oh, they've already mastered that. So we've got to come up with something else. I, I hear you. So I personally, when it comes to baseline data, I personally like to use the exact procedure that you're going to be teaching and assessing with all year long. So instead of using a random probe, I think you should, let's say, for instance, you're working on having a child retell a story in sequential order. So you, I would take baseline data in the same way that I'm going to be teaching them and assessing them all year long. So I'll have the visual support I plan on using, like whether it's a little, you know, chart or learning. I, I'm drawing a blank on that. Um, no, I know what you're talking about. Because I had, yeah. Visual, and then, whatever cues you're going to have, exactly. whatever stimulus cards. Yep. And so, you know, explain the visual to them, read the storybook, ask them to retell the beginning, end, and, you know, middle in order, or use the story grammar if that's your thing, and, and, and take your data. You can even do it a few times if you want to. So that's your starting point. I, I don't like just... Um, you know, throwing something random at them, like a probe. Okay, here's three pictures, put them in order, tell a story. Because that's not what I plan on doing all year long. So if you've thought out how you're going to teach and and take data all year long, then take your baseline data in that same exact way. And it's relevant. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, if anyone doesn't know this, I had a professional goal to get better at writing goals for like three years because it wasn't that I wasn't bad at it. But I knew there were areas that I needed to grow in. And these what you're saying about baseline data was one of my biggest like, oh, I shouldn't just like kind of guess or I shouldn't have. I need to know how many cues I did because a lot. And then I started to see these holes in my um, in my practice because I'd have these kids where I'm like, OK, name a category group for these for these five categories and they couldn't do it at all. You know, these are some of my more complex communicators. And I'm like, I can't put 0% accuracy as the baseline, <laughs> you know? So I had to figure out like, okay, right. you know, I could put that, but I needed to find like, okay, if I gave them a prompt or if they could sort it into something, yeah. that's part of their baseline. So yeah. that way, if we want them to name basic categories, you know, we might only put that goal at 40% because that's independent because it took them 100% accuracy. They needed a visual cue and two verbal prompts and all this stuff, you know. Yeah, so I started looking at that stuff and it's kind—it's of, hard at first, but it, I think it makes a difference. It does. And again, you've, you've done the thinking for the whole year. So you can just, you know, all you have to do is grab new materials. And I did that one time with the sequencing. I knew I wanted to do sequencing and the clinician I was working with for grad school, you know, had I not walked, we hadn't backward chained what was going on. I would have put the wrong, you know, if you get one wrong, that's 75% accuracy out of four pictures, right? <laughs> so right. you put 80%, you can't really get that percent, you know? So we had, to, I, I started to see like, ooh. <laughs> right, right. And usually so. we don't, if we don't take baseline data, we don't see that until we go to write our progress report and we're like, Oh, this is impossible to achieve. Yeah. The way I've written it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love those uh, tips that ask for help, start to think ahead of time before the meeting, you know, just how the child learns and then asking the teacher, even sending a, doing a quick phone call to the parent to see yep. if there's anything, you know, I mean, cause I've had one of meetings. Yeah. As a parent and going, 
this kind of, you know, I have no idea what they're talking about on the other end. And so you don't want them to feel already on guard and uncomfortable. So it's, it's worth the effort, I think, or have, or have the teacher ask the parent at drop off and then relay, like, do they want a phone call or not? So you're, if you have a good relationship with the teacher, absolutely, you do a little bit of the legwork. But you got relationships yeah. go a long, long way. <laughs> so I love, I love all those tips. I think those are practical um, to do. And so, in your years of supervising and being on IEP teams, what do you notice about the IEP meetings that went smoothly? Like, what were some takeaways? Were you like, wow, I wish more educators and and speech pathologists yeah. were doing those things. Right. Well. Just like we just talked about, IEP meetings go best when the team members have already built a trusting relationship with parents. And if even if it's an initial IEP, if you've like gone out of your way to listen to a parent, call her, see what you know her concerns are. Or he, I say her, we usually have moms attend, but our grandmas. Um, we know it's important to build strong relationships with students, but it's also important for parents. And I I have parents to this day that, um, you know, we're friends now because we developed that stronger relationship. And during COVID when, you know, everything was a, you know, what show (laughs) Um, parents that kids I hadn't taught in years were calling because they wanted advice as to what to do and that kind of thing. So those relationships go a long, long way. And while we're on the trust factor, I think that a big thing that always bothered me if I wasn't the person running the meeting, that whoever is running the meeting, whoever has the IEP in front of them needs to sit next to the parent. Like that parent really needs to see what they're writing on the IEP and you need to be close to them so that your your discussion is more personal. I think that also goes a long way. I also don't believe in calling parents mom or dad or granny or whatever it may be. I believe in calling them by their name. Um, I think we're always put at ease when people call us by their name, our name, because um, it feels familiar and more intimate. Also, I think that things go smoothly when a team starts talking about the student's strengths instead of their problems. And when the team lets parents talk and gives their full attention without interruption and validates their concerns and, and feelings, you know, parents really want to hear, I hear you. I, I feel, I feel this, you know, I understand what your concerns are now. Thank you. And when I'm saying I, I kind of coach parents who are having difficult times at schools, I always ask when they tell me about the IEP meeting, I always say, did anyone say, I hear you? Did anyone say, I I understand, we're going to take care of that. We're going to, we're going to address that. And the answer usually in these parents who were very discouraged and frustrated was no. And like, that's what I was saying. They want to to go away feeling confident that you have a solid plan. You're going to help their child and they want to feel heard. And that's as easy as saying, I hear you, you know, so the, and, and of course, you know, things get emotional and you just have to tuck in your emotions. You just have to tuck them in <laughs> because 
and try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, I always would tell the SLPs I supported be, and you say something like this too, Felice, be the SLP. You, I say you want your own child to have. Yeah, totally. And so be that in the IEP meeting for those parents. Yeah. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's. No, I, I have messed that up plenty of times, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't think, you know, it's just this easy piece of thing. And you can do all these things. And if you're with a certain parent who's really, really upset, mm-hmm. that's usually what I go. I'm calling in reinforcements because I need an advocate because some of these things. I need my supervisor 100%. to come in. I've had, I've called, I've called supervisor. Yeah. I've called, I said, principal, you better be there and you better be there the whole time. Um, I need yes. all people there. And then, uh, so I totally agree with all these, these tips though. It, the, I, I really like the name tip too. Like remembering They're not that. just a generic human and you learn their first name and their last name. I've even, Found that I have to just even ask, like, hi, Mrs. Smith, you know, would you like me to call you Carol or Mrs. Smith? Because right. everybody's different. <laughs> so. That's right. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I messed that one up, too. Um, got started on the wrong foot. And then one time I messed up someone's first name. And so then I, yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm human. <laughs> um, but I, I really like um, all your tips for how to run a smooth meeting. Uh, one little thing that I started doing too was I would also, I also try to like say, Hey, here's your parent rights. Do you want me to go over those? But then also like, you also have a right that if we don't, if you, if you don't like what's going on in this meeting or after the fact, you have the right to call an IEP meeting. Like we don't have to just meet once a year. So just informing parents like of their, their rights and you know, it, Reminds them that they have power to be a part of they their kids' education. And they don't, I, some parents don't even know it. So I, they don't know the rights. You're right, Felice. Yep. And some districts take advantage of that. Yes. Yes. So, you know, we have a responsibility too to let them. Absolutely. Let them know. And if they want to take take us up on it, then they do. And if they don't, then they don't. But of course we don't, we want them to feel confident after that one meeting. Um, but yes, I love that. Um, I'm always looking for tips to make things go smoothly. And I think um, a lot of SLPs, you know, are, they have those those students or those IEPs meetings that are really contentious or there's just a lot of tension. How do you prepare yourself for these meetings so that you could go in um, feeling strong and confident no matter what happens yeah, I will. Okay, so the first way, I'm going to be very honest with you. The first way I prepare, so I'm this person that if I get stressed or upset or anything, I get like red welts welts on my whole neck and chest and then eventually goes up to my face. So the first way I prepare, Felice, is that I wear a high neckline on IEP meeting day. <laughs> <laughs> No joke. I know. I'm laughing because I understand. Like, we do yeah. our little things. So I, I was telling you that I worked with a lot of children who were aggressive or violent, or even been arrested, you know, back and forth to mental institutions, that kind of thing. And I have sat in many, many, many of these contentious IPs. In fact, I think I, I got stuff assigned to go to a lot of them. Um, and if the walls could talk. 
But yes, as you were saying, ask someone to be there if you're predicting it not to go well, because, um, you know, no SLP should be just thrown to the wolves by themselves. This is going to sound crazy, but, you know, even if when it really gets to be too much, because I've seen this happen, they can be absent that day. You know, like I can go and fill in for them or something or ask your supervisor to be there. Sometimes you just can't. I've had ODRs, you know, principals that took a day because of these parents that were rough and they are, you know, well, I'll say what you have to do is remember that they are struggling more than you're struggling probably because they're living with this child and be able to speak confidently. Again, I'm going back to that word confident about your recommendations for the student. When you can speak confidently, things are going to go a lot better. They're going to feel more secure about what's happening and be prepared for advocates to be there. And, um, you should also know your district's policies about that. So let's say a parent or an advocate wants to record the IEP meeting. And I know in our district, in that case, we also recorded the IEP meeting. Yeah, don't hold, don't hold the IEP meeting if you aren't prepared to record back. Right, exactly. Reschedule if you're not prepared to do yeah. that. Um, lastly, be be. Be knowledgeable about what your district says to do if a parent doesn't sign the IEP, the IEP at the meeting. Um, in the case of our district, we tell them that we understand you don't want to sign, but we are going to implement this IEP in five days, but you can have another IEP meeting and hopefully we can come to a resolution at that next IEP meeting. Um, parents do get upset about that. But as long as you just inform them of their rights, then you are doing the right thing. And document. Um, at least in my <laughs> state, and document. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, at least in my state, parents are only required to sign the initial IEP. And if they refuse to sign, we inform them that the I, you know, a, a review IEP, then we inform them what I just said, that we can meet again soon, come up with a compromise. And then when this happens, immediately inform your director so they can kind of take it from there. So uh, even though tough meetings, you know, IEP meetings are no fun, it could always be worse. And you are not alone if you are going through that. Uh, an, an SLP friend of mine actually attended an IEP with her. The first page of that IEP was five hours. The IEP. What? was five hours and they never got past the first page and that's the information and eligibility page right at least in my area so the next day i attended and that iep went on for several days so know that there are scenarios like this happening all over the country you are not alone you need to do some serious self-care um those are tough and you know try to rotate those kids out amongst the if there's another therapist at your school also want to mention that if the, the contentious IEP is a, a you, you know, worrying about dismissing or discharging a student, the way to prevent a contentious IEP at dismissal is to start talking about dismissal at the child's very first IEP meeting and continually talking about how that is the ultimate goal and it's going to be an amazing day 
when that child is dismissed. So that parents start to perceive it from the get-go as a positive event and not a negative event. Because I've, I've attended many IEP meetings, you know, discharge meetings as a supervisor, and whew, those are tough. But you can prevent that by adopting those practices. Yeah, I like that tip. I think you did a Instagram post because I remember that. And it's just like, I did. and you did another good one when, with, when you said to know why you're recommending something. Um, and that goes all the way back to your first tip of you better get baselines because if you don't know the areas of need or you've identified areas of need and then the IEP reflects none of those areas of need, that's number one, a lawsuit. Right. Number two, I don't know how the kid's going to make progress. Right. So, Well, you know where I got that tip? It, it really hit home with me. I was at a special ed conference and one of the attorneys from uh, the Andrew case, you know, that, that changed the expectations for SPED students. He spoke with us and he said that that judge pulled, wanted, you know, pulled the service providers up and wanted to know why they recommended this goal, why they recommended this criteria for mastery, why they recommended these visual supports, why these accommodations. And they had to speak on that. And man, that hit me like a, you know, a wrecking ball. It's making me want to breathe into a bag right now. Like, (gasps) I don't mean to trigger anyone right now, but um, that's real stuff. And our our district was sued several times. Um, And the thing is, I guess, People think that the director and supervisor and all will be called up on the stand, but it's not. It's the service providers. So it's a really big deal that you can back up what you're writing on an IP. And that's why you can't just throw stuff on there, you know, because the reality is we've all done it, but it really made me take a hard look at what I was writing. Yeah. And I've even found that if I'm really struggling, like let's say we have a kid with a social pragmatic language disorder and I'm like really, cause those are hard goals to write, to measure, be measurable. Um, what I will do is I will try to have as many of my goals that I can ready. Um, and then when I get to the meeting, I will share a couple of areas and then I say, I, and, and this is like a legit thing. This isn't me like procrastinating, <laughs> Um, but I'm like, I want to consult the IEP team because you guys, you see the student all day, every day, you know, I want to know what you guys think. So we come up with a goal as a team. And especially if you have an advocate there, it speaks because they're going to probably critique. You obviously want to have goals ready, but then, um, but then you can really see like, you know what, that goal I was going to write was not going to work anyway, because someone wasn't going to be happy with it. Um, or we needed to really look at like how we were going to measure it. So, I mean, that's another option. You want to come with some baseline data, but, but in, in, and in that event, you just write in the notes too, like after the IP or I'm going to take baseline data on this kid and write the goals and the parent doesn't necessarily have to sign right in the meeting. You got, you just got to document it in the notes. Yeah. yeah. That's an awesome practice because it's, it's like, in the spirit of the IEP team. And also, you know, we walk in with that IEP, but it's not set in stone. It should be a working document. Right. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely, I still feel like I need, I'm going to be, if I go back to the schools, I'm going to be like, wait a minute, what's an IEP meeting? Because I haven't, you know, you get in the, you get in the rhythm a little bit. Yeah. yeah. 
So, but these were really awesome tips. Um, I hope everyone feels more empowered and not overwhelmed. I think the biggest one is how can you build trust? Like Mia said, how to start pick one group that you're going to work on or one, a couple IEPs that you're going to do baseline data and try that out, you know, take little steps to get better at preparing for these meetings. Like Mia said, and implementing some of those uh, tips, but I wanted to let Mia share a little bit. She's got a new um, school SLP insiders, Facebook group. So if you're like, Oh, I love this, this topic. I'd love to be mentored more for Mia. Um, she's got a group for you. Yeah. So Belize, thanks for having me. It's always good chatting with you. Um, So yes. So because I got all of this special education training and I love mentoring other um, SLPs, like I really miss that at my school job. um, I decided to uh, open up a Facebook group that is specifically for supporting school SLPs. The SLPs that I supported for the four years as an admin, literally text me and call me uh, like 20 times a week. And my <laughs> husband thinks they should still be paying me. Um, so I would love to help you guys. I know what a hard, hard, demanding, almost impossible job you have. Uh, I'll be providing many professional development on there and tips and advice for everything SLPs do from screenings to RTI, IEPs, revals, evals, any way I can support you guys, I want to do it. Um, because to be honest, I have a little bit of PTSD from my school SLP job. I mean, it's serious. It's not for wussies. Um, and you guys don't always get the support you deserve and need. Um, so I'll be launching that on January 2nd, but I believe Felice is going to put in the show notes that uh, link to sign up early. I'm also working on an IEP writing guide for school SLPs that uh, I actually wrote the IEP procedures for our district and I figured I might as well share them with you guys. Of course, they're, you know, your district, you have to do what your district tells you to do, but it's kind of just best practices a lot from these attorneys and other great speakers I had the privilege of listening to. Anyway, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and putting words in your mouth and at puttingwordsinyourmouth.com. Yeah. Awesome. So yes, I will definitely put the link to the Facebook group. It's officially launching January 2nd, but if you click on the link, you can pre get into the group so that you don't, for, you know, you're in when all the good stuff starts happening. And, um, I think you guys would love, I know I would love a little manual and some coaching on IEP meetings because there's nothing. And sometimes it's just, you need someone to say, you're doing a great job. You're, you're on the right track, you know, when you are, because sometimes we doubt ourselves as well. And so um, oh, yeah. Mia will be your cheerleader. <laughs> I will. And I can't wait. Yeah. So as always, SLPs, um, be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. We are, I mean, we are recording this earlier, but we're on winter break right now. So enjoy that time and uh, rest up. Don't think about IEPs too hard until January 2nd when, when I think everyone has to start going back to work anyway, then you, what's Sunday, I think. Is it? Okay. I don't know. Yeah. That's a perfect time to get in, to launch the group right when everyone's going, "Ah." 
<laughs> Everyone, I have to go back to work. So anyways, all right. Well, we will we'll end this today and I will talk with you next week. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.